Good morning, everyone. And welcome to this, this panel whose topic is Step 11. My name is Michael P. I'm a food addict and the moderator for this session. Our speakers are Kim S. and Sandy. This session is being interpreted simultaneously. If you prefer to listen in French, please click, click on the interpretation symbol and choose French. Closed captioning is available. Click on live transcript. Let's open with the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. This session will feature, <clears throat> pardon me, this session will, session will feature two speakers who have up to 20 minutes each. After that, the attendees will be, asked, will be able to ask questions of the speakers. The audio from this session is being recorded and will not be edited. By speaking at this workshop, you give permission to be recorded. Please note that this session will be available online or as a podcast feed. Here's some inf information about this webinar. As you have noted, a webinar is view only. Only panelists are, are visible. Attendees are not visible to each other or to the panel or to the people on the panel. Attendees are automatically muted. Please use the Q&A function to ask the panelists a question and use the chat for supportive comments. Please respect the anonymity of all who attend, including by refraining from screen capturing or audio recording. Two notes for our speakers. The timer will signal when five minutes remain and when time has elapsed. Remember, you are being interpreted, so please speak slowly. Uh, I don't recall. Uh, Sandy, you're going first? Okay, it's your turn. Thank you, Michael. Thank you very much. Um, everybody, my name is Sandy. See, I live in Fall River, Massachusetts. I'm a very grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. I've been in program um, actively since 2012, and I have three and a half years of uh, continuous entire abstinence. And I'll talk about that a little bit more in a second. I, um, I probably went to my first pay and way when I was 12, and I... Um, I did a, a just, I'm a yo-yo dieter. I'm a career dieter. Absolutely convinced that the right diet would fix me. Um, absolutely convinced that once I lost the weight, I could keep it off without having to change the way I behaved around food. And absolutely convinced that my life could get started just as soon as I lost the weight. So um, a lot of conviction and a lot of um, exhausting options, including celebrity doctors and um, fasting and uh, laxatives, all kinds of things to fix the problem that wasn't the problem, right? The problem was uh, an allergy of the body and obsession of the mind, and it wasn't a food and weight problem. In fact, in some ways, food and weight um, were my safety nets. They saved my life. So what do I mean by that? I mean that um, you know, food was medicine for me. It soothed me. It made me feel better. It helped me pass out, right, um, from the carbs and the sugar. Um, my weight 
I, at my top weight is 324 pounds. I'm maintaining a 150 pound weight loss. And my yo-yo, right? How many times have I gone up and down? It adds up to 600 pounds. So minimum of three people, maybe four people's worth of weight that I've lost and gained and lost and gained and lost and gained. That's a lot. That's a lot of seeking to fix the problem that wasn't the problem. So the weight for me was a suit of armor, kept the world at bay and um, kept me safe, helped me, you know, set boundaries when I couldn't set them myself. Um, was a great emergency. By the time I was 48 years old and really starting to hit bottom, I had high blood pressure and diabetes. And um, it was a beautiful emergency. And my last big weight loss was um, on a liquid diet and I lost 120 pounds and that should have fixed me, right? That should have made it all fabulous. I should have been fine. And the truth was I wasn't. I was depressed and anxious. I didn't know how to set boundaries. I felt naked because I didn't have my suit of armor. Um, and I wasn't ready to deal with the rest of my life. I wasn't ready to deal with the lack of intimacy in my marriage. I wasn't ready to deal with my finances. I wasn't ready to be a better parent. And so I, the weight just came back on. And that's when I kind of crawled into the rooms in 2020. Okay, so that's me. <clears throat> and um, so let's talk about God, right? We're here to improve our conscious contact with our higher powers. Um, I've now come to understand that I might've come in for vanity, right? Stayed for the sanity, but the real work is that um, I am here to have a closer relationship to God. That's my assignment. That's my job. And it's so satisfying and lovely. Hang on one second. I just got to close the windows because there's shiny things happening and it's distracting me. I apologize. Okay, close the windows. All right. So how do I improve my conscious contact with God? So first of all, I had to get really honest about my conscious contact with God. Um, and how that happened is that the I worked the steps um, with a new step sponsor in uh, winter of 2019, no, winter of 2020. And I finally got honest, the true spring of 2020, you know, it's all a jumble since COVID, right? Um, I got honest. I remember that slogan is one of my favorite slogans. Trust God, clean house, help others. Trust God, clean house, help others, right? So I was great at helping others. I'm a natural born helper. I'm a fixer. I'm smart and creative. I'm an out of the box thinker. I'm good at all the fixing roles. Um, I was working on cleaning house. It was moving slower than I wanted to literally cleaning, you know, decluttering and simplifying, uh, you know, morally doing amends little by slow financial restitution, lots of that in my story. Um, but I did not trust God. So I had, you know, I had a three-legged stool that one was very wobbly. I did not trust God. And it took me till then to really get honest about that. And, you know, I don't trust anybody. So of course, I that's another person I don't trust. But I knew that, that I needed to balance. I needed to look for that trust. And um, the first thing I did is I distinguished that while I had taken step three, right, I had um, said the words out loud, I was saying them as if they were a contract. Um, I'm a retired TV producer. I spent my whole life in New York City negotiating things. Um, 
And so I, I wrote a contract with God without realizing it. It wasn't a prayer. It was a contract with God. So it sounded like this in my head. God, I will offer myself to you if you will relieve me of the bondage of self. And if you relieve me of the bondage of self, well, then I'll tell everybody that you did that. But here's what you need to know, God. I am keeping score. I will be keeping track of this situation. I know it sounds so arrogant, but it's really what it sounded it's like. It took all that work to distinguish it. I guess I should say that before I got to that moment, I was raised, um, you know, in a particular religion, not very fiercely, not very intensely, um, sort of a distant kind of, you know, relationship with God. Um, but I definitely had a Santa Claus God, you know, I definitely, I was freelance and, you know, I'd run out of money and I'd say, God, do something and I get a gig. So that was my God. God, I need a parking space and I get a parking space. Um, you know, God, have please have something nice happen to me today. And I, something nice would happen to me today. That was my Santa Claus God. So that was my first, you know, sort of improved relationship with higher power. And then I did start doing 12-step work in 1992, maybe. And um, it was suggested to me, you know, first, obviously, it was, well, not obviously, but, you know, make your own conception of God. Like, what do you want God to be? Um, and I wanted a God that was um, loving and kind. And somebody said, listen to music, as, listen to love songs as if they're to and from God. And that was a great place to start. And um, I have a whole playlist now of my higher power songs. And um, I'm not going to tell you my playlist because you have to make your own playlist because it's really what speaks to your heart. But I will tell you about one song and then um, Karen will beat me up for outside literature, but we'll just go quick. So Peter Gabriel's In Your Eyes, I Am Complete. So in God's eyes, I am complete. That's where we started, right? I didn't trust God, but God trusted me. God knew that I was whole. I wasn't broken. Um, I wasn't incurable. In God's eyes, I was complete. And I just, I just started ever so slow. That would have been probably 1995 or six, just letting that be true. You know, letting the idea sort of seep into my bones that God thinks I'm whole and complete and lovely just the way I am. I'm still negotiating, still contracting, still so defiant, so defiant. But at least we had a we had a little, you know, God had a little inroad into the possibility of um, being God. <laughs> it was just the slimmest possibility that I would stop playing God and let God be God. Okay. Um, and the playlist grew. And then I, um, you know, we're here to talk about conscious contact, right? So, the, so we have the playlist. Um, and then the other thing that I do is I do, um, I do, um, a, a spiritual practice of drawing a mindful meditation practice of doodling. It's very specific and structured and it's lovely. It's just lovely. And it calms me down and it brings me to mindfulness. And um, it's just always been a, a balm to my soul. Um, I feel like I'm bouncing around a little bit. So let's go back to the, all right, I don't trust God, right? I've said the third step prayer. I've gotten the awareness that I, oops, I'm saying it is a contract. I know enough to know that's probably not what's intended, what that means, what any prayer means. That doesn't mean that Sandy's writing a contract. So, um, so I had to do it. I knew I had to do it differently. And I had a sponsee who had started doing two-way prayer. 
so two-way prayer is a um it's a it's a technique of prayer that was um done by the oxford group and the oxford group precedes aa the oxford group in ohio is where bill wilson met dr bob and um they had a practice of getting quiet every morning and reading uh, spiritual literature, spiritual or religious literature, and getting quiet and taking a pen and paper and asking God a question and writing down what they heard. So a friend, a sponsee of mine was doing two-way prayer in a meeting every morning. She was doing every morning. She was raving about it and um, she loved it. And it was, she was opening up in ways that she hadn't been willing to before. And she was hearing the intuitive voices in her head and she was getting straight. I, you know, I started doing, so I started doing two-way prayer and I did it every morning and it has been divine. Um, in the group that I attend and again, we'll do contact information later, but um, I'll, if you email me, I'll tell you about the groups that I do because it's an outside issue, right? It's, oh, but that's not true. I do have one. I did start an OA two-way prayer meeting. That's an official OA meeting on Sunday mornings right? Little promo here, little plug. And um, so uh, anyway, email me and I'll, I'll tell you, give you links to those meetings because they're great. So what we do in those meetings is we write, we get quiet, we write, ask the question, we write the answer for 10 minutes, and then we share with each other what we wrote in small little breakout rooms. And what happens in those, that's the miracle, is that you really, you, I really start to distinguish my voice, my ego from the voice of God. And then the question I always get when I talk about this is, how do you know it's God? And I'm like, well, I don't. I don't officially know it's God, right? The clouds don't part. There isn't a lightning bolt. Um, there isn't that lovely, is it Da Vinci or Michelangelo, that lovely finger, right, from God to Adam or whoever. And, um, but I do know what's my ego, I do, I do start to distinguish what's ego. Like if I write something and it's brilliant and I can't wait to share it with the rest of my group, oh, that's ego, right? And, um, and I start, I, I've waffled around in this process. I've been doing it for about a year and a half now. Um, I've waffled around with uh, who am I really, who's writing to me? Who's talking to me? Sometimes it's my higher self. It's the part of me that wants the very best for me. It's the part of me that knows intrinsically that I'm lovely and good and good enough. What a powerful expression that is for a perfectionist like me. Good enough, enough. Um, sometimes it's that voice. Sometimes it's just intuition. It's just the intuitive voice. Um, and sometimes it feels like it's God. Uh, and it's all good, right? Anytime I spend um, improving my conscious contact with God is so much better than the time I spend reading novels, uh, binging TV shows. Um, it doesn't happen so much anymore. I have a really solid food plan, but, you know, obsessively planning my food. Uh, what else doesn't, isn't, doesn't feel very spiritual, doesn't matter. Let's talk, talk some more about talking to God. Um, intuition. So. What what has evolved over this year and a half of, of actively, thoughtfully, mindfully seeking to improve my conscious contact with God? I have relaxed a lot. A lot of my most recent writings with higher power have been about stop trying so hard. 
That's a really good message for me. Stop trying so hard. You know, I'm just all wound up all the time. And if I just find the right recipe, the right formula, the right set of instructions, I'll always be in contact with God. I'll always be peaceful and serene. And God just lets me know gently inside of writing to a prayer that it may not go that way. Uh, It won't be an all or nothing. There is no all. I recently heard at a meeting, it was so valuable to me. I can't be happy all of the time. I was like, what? That was an aha moment. I was like, I can't be happy all of the time? Well, what the heck have I been seeking for the last 60 years? Oops. (laughs) Um, It was just one of those moments where it's like, oh, of course I can't be happy all the time because that's not happy. That's just is, right? So I don't want to get too existential. because I could just right over there. Um, but it soothed me to find out I can't be happy all the time. That it's, and it's not, an, uh, it's not a useful goal. It's great to work towards happiness. It's great to drop my rocks and, you know, leave aside my character defects that block my um, conversation with God. But it's unrealistic. It's perfectionistic to expect that I'm going to achieve this state of bliss and stay there. And it was naive of me to think that, but it's okay. It's all right. I'm not, I wish I could convey to you guys. I hope I am conveying to you guys that I don't beat myself up anymore. That I'm not making five minutes, Sandy. Thank you, Lisa. That I'm not making myself bad and wrong because I'm not the most spiritually gloriously evolved person in the entire world. And that I haven't hit that you know, Buddha-like stasis of equanimity um, that, you know, I thought was achievable if I just tried harder. So the messages recently from God are, honey, stop trying so hard. You're fine. It's good. It's enough. You're enough. You're good enough. And what lovely messages to hear. Um, The messages I would want my sponsees to hear. The messages I would want my friends and my child to hear. You're good. You're enough. And those are the gifts of improving my conscious contact with a higher power. And I just have a few minutes left. So I'm just going to check and see if there's anything else. Um, I wanted to tell you guys about conscious contact that I haven't thought of yet. (laughs) Nope. I think we covered everything and um, I'm just so grateful. I'm grateful to you guys for coming today. And I'm just thankful um, for, I love conventions. If you can't tell, you've seen my face all week (laughs) in webinar. Um, I just, uh, I hope you'll come back and do another convention with us. And I just thank you all for being here. Thank you, Sandy. Buddha-like stasis of equanimity. Well, <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you so much. So our second speaker is Kim S. And Kim, it's your turn now. Um, Good morning, everyone. Uh, My name is Kim, and I'm a food addict and also a relapse survivor. I've heard that a lot of times this week. Um, I'll talk about that a little bit as we go. Um, I wanted to say thank you you and welcome, uh, especially to the newcomers um, that are attending this um, online convention. 
something happens when we all come together. Um, somehow we manage to get each other and keep each other abstinent, something that we cannot do alone without our, um, our community. Um, and I want to also make a disclaimer that um, take whatever resonates with you and leave the rest. Um, my authority on the steps is the big book. So um, hopefully everything that I say comes exactly from there. Otherwise, it's uh, the big book is the authority. Um, that's where my story actually starts is um, I'm a, I qualified as a food addict um, and I'm from um a little place north of kingston called westport it's a beautiful little village right on the lake absolutely stunning very slow life um love that i'm um about a year and a half retired i was a federal parole officer for 34 years so i kind of joke and say i was 34 years in jail and uh i finally got out so this is awesome um and uh, with that job and with my life and with my addiction, um, my addiction was just ripe to go roaring on fire. Um, but that's also where some of my healing took place. I came into these rooms in 1992, um, very desperate, very panicked. Um, I didn't know what to do. I am an, an anorexic bulimic overeater and exercise bulimic as well um, when I'm in active addiction and um, <clears throat> I've um, so when I came in I was so desperate but I didn't know it because my body didn't show that I was a food addict um, and so that was very easy to deny and um, I met somebody who was a parent of one of the kids that one of my children hung with and uh, that person would say all these beautiful little program dictions and I love those and I said to her where did you learn that and she says why don't you come she knew where I needed to be I guess and so I went and you have to understand that um, I was so rebellious and I'm wired that way that's who I am at my core and it's definitely part of my addictive self um so when I went there well immediately I didn't like that one and this one and and um but the one thing I did here in that meeting was don't make up your mind to stay or go before six meetings are up awesome advice I went there and I don't take direction because I'm a rebel. Um, so when that was suggested, I went, okay, well, let's just see what this is. And so I did stay the six meetings, but I think it was at about my second or third meeting. I went, oh my goodness, I know what's wrong. I'm a food addict. I had no idea. I don't look like a food addict because I had binged and exercise purged and starved and dieted and binged and on and on it went. So it didn't quite show on my body. And I realized why I was so panicked. I was so afraid. I was so anxious. I was so judgmental all the time. And uh, 
my problem was me. My problem wasn't, I didn't like this one. I didn't like that one. My job was too hard. Um, it wasn't that at all. It was my reaction to what was happening around me. Um, I feel very, very honored today to be talking about uh, step 11. It's um, it's definitely one of the steps that I'm most connected to because I have to use it daily. Um, I have come around the rooms long enough since 1992 to have heard inspiration and little gems and nuggets from different people. But one of the things that I heard in a meeting many years ago that made perfect sense to me, and I'd love to share it with you, um, is that I wake up every day an empty vessel. I'm an empty vessel until I plug into my higher power. And um, how I do that is I light a candle. I'm my, my higher power is one of a, a pagan tradition, let's say. Um, so I light my candle and I love that candle because fire represents transformation. Well, I want transformation from empty vessel addict to a spiritual being or to be along spiritual lines. So I light my candle and I invite my higher power to come on duty with me. And uh, I do my serenity prayer, my third step prayer, my seventh step prayer. And then I just imagine a pink umbrella just underneath the umbrella raining pink raindrops of love and healing to myself first and then everybody in my family and then my friends and then anybody in particular that I feel needs it that day. Um, as a, for instance, I have a cousin who's uh, in hospital with kidney failure again. And so I definitely pray for him and he's so he's in my special prayers um in this in these times so that's where the rubber meets the road for me is i have to do that those prayers to begin to to uh fill that vessel with good beautiful spiritual things um that's the reason that i don't open my day with a cup of coffee in the news um, because I'm filling my empty vessel with, I want beautiful spiritual things in there. And um, if I get into the news, I'm, I'm consuming that as I, as I would foods that aren't good for me as well. So I'm very, very careful with those things. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about when I said uh, the big book is the authority on the steps for me. So the big book, if it says, do this, me the rebel, I want to invent my own way and I want to do it my way or I want to interpret it or play with it or forget little bits and only choose those. But I know that the big book instructions are tried, tested and true. And it's like billions and billions have recovered from addiction using 12-step program. I'm certainly not any different than those billions and billions. So if it can be done for them, it can be done for me and it can be done for anybody who seeks it. So um, what the 11th step says is sought through prayer and meditation to improve our contact 
our conscious contact with God as we understood him. So I'll just stop right there. Conscious contact with God. So that means that consciously I have to seek out my higher power. And the big book instructions for step 11 show up on page 86, 87 and base of, of the big book and basically say when I should reach out for my higher power. So that's first thing in the morning, all through the day when something comes up and then at night. And so I'm consciously doing that. And I consciously do it because I'm practicing as has been said in, and throughout this wonderful convention this weekend, it's a practice. So as I've practiced, I've learned that when something comes up, my first reaction is, God bless such and such and so and so or this situation. Now it says, um, the second part of that step as I read it is praying only for, only for knowledge of his will for us. So I'm not praying for frivolous things. I'm praying only for knowledge of his will for us. So now I have to ask. Hey, God, what is your will for me today? And it's a one day at a time program. So I'm filling up my vessel for that 24 hours. And so I wait for that answer. And that's what the big book says is that we say our prayers and then we relax and wait for the answers to come. And I've had some pretty electrifying moments with answers from my higher power. And that's a process. And then the power to carry that out. And for me, that means I'm a person who's full of fear and anger. So what I want is the power to carry that out without fear and anger. Right? I don't, I want to know um, what is my conscious contact with God? What is his knowledge for me for that 24 hours? And can I please have the power to carry that out without fear and anger? And I love that because um, that is my absolute go-to um, uh, fear and anger when uh, I'm abstinent, mostly, because before I had the food to help bring the stuff down, the feelings down that I have. And now when I don't have food or any other mind-altering substances, my internal food is my character defects so fear and anger is absolutely where I go to first and so when those are coming up I know that I'm reaching for an internal drugstore of some sort and they make me feel better um, so before this program before I came in in 1992 um, food was I made conscious contact with food for sure I'd open that bag of salty crunchy with a chocolate chaser and I made a conscious contact with food but that conscious contact lasted until the bottom of the bag it was very temporary and it really didn't last because when the crumbs were visible at the bottom of the bag my guilt came back and flushed over me and it was even stronger than it was before I started my bench so when I came in here into these rooms, I was told that I have a power problem. 
and because um, I'm powerless over food. So if that food power is only lasting me to the bottom of the bag, and then now my problem is worse, I needed a much more reliable power and a much more sustainable something to get me through the next 24 hours. So I found my higher power. And for me, I found that higher power while I was in program. Um, it started off as, you know, the God that was punishing because that was my upbringing. And uh, that was absolutely not working for me. Um, just my, my experience. And when I came into program, I, at some point, very early went to the Bay of Fundy on a camping trip. And I watched the tide come in and how powerful that was. And I thought, that's, that's my higher power. That power is my higher power. I see what it can do. Um, and I needed that. So I just adopted the, the very forceful power of nature as my higher power. That's what I can, that's what I can do. That's what my higher power came to be while I was in program. It's still absolutely what I use now. Um, but I had zero when I came in because it wasn't working for me. And my power was the junk food. And it was so, it, so short lived. And this higher power gets me through 24 hours. When I plug in in the morning, I can get through 24 hours when, as the big book says, when I am indecisive or upset, I'm practicing calling in my higher power. What would you have me do? Um, it's in the, in the uh, job that I had as a federal parole officer, you can only imagine um, that in a, in an institutional setting, in a, in a penitentiary setting, I was surrounded by addicts. And that's where I learned how I could, could have compassion for another sick addict, as the big book asks, asks us to do. And uh, in a few times with uh, interviews with inmates, they go, you're a tall stepper, aren't you? And I always said, yes, I, I wouldn't ever want to hide that. Um, and so what I could do in my work was to give compassion to other addicts and give them understanding. Five minutes. Uh, thank you. Um, and to offer them just human kindness and time to speak and to hear them and see them. Um, that was a really, really good experience for me. I watched so much in there. I watched so many, not only just inmates, but staff just get all twisted um, and all kinds of spiritual disease and physical disease. And I, I was 34 years in jail and I feel like I came out more spiritual than I went in. And it was my opportunity to just bless a really, really toxic place every day when I came in and uh, the function that I performed every day. Um, so I really learned um, rubber meets the road um, to have a conscious contact with God 
every time that something came up that was disturbing and to really use that power and that power was not food um and the power is no longer character defects yes i still have them i am a human being i'm really really working on emotional sobriety now that i'm retired and i have some space um and i really am working on some um emotional sobriety so i've chosen not only um abstinence from food but um from all mind-altering substances so that i can do this work and i know that that's kind of the next level where i'm at um and again it's all a process when i began as a an addict i wanted this is my action it better get fixed let's do this now i've really learned to be in that in between phase of i'm starting a process and it going to it's going to go a little bit and it's going to slip back and it's going to go a little bit further and it's going to slip back and to be happy in the process not reeling for the destination it's probably part of maturity as well um but um nowhere in my big book does it say kim shall be happy doing these 12 steps it just tells me what steps are to do um and i'm so so very happy to be here and to be part of this wonderful convention i've heard such amazing speakers and i've grown so much i've gotten my little booster shot of a program this weekend um it's so good to be here i um did get up and do my prayer and meditation in the way that i spoke of earlier this morning and i was nervous so i asked uh for uh my higher power to think into my thoughts and breathe into my words and feel into my heart so that i could uh give words that could be used by somebody to uh make some great uh program decisions and to make some great program actions and step 11 is absolutely an action uh step it's a growth step as well um because where i i mentioned in my early introduction that i am a relapse survivor what happened during relapse is i let crises and other things become my higher power and i put kind of my higher power on the back of my mind and so my disease came front and center um instead of my higher power and so absolutely relapsed and did not find solace in the bottom of any bags in that in that period of time but i really really did learn that my conscious contact with god conscious contact with god is absolutely where i need to be to maintain my abstinence my emotional sobriety my sobriety i love that on page 88 of the big book under step 11 it says it works it really does as a complete paragraph i love that it works it really does and that it's a standalone paragraph about step 11 so i believe the big book i said in my introduction the big book is my authority so if the my big book says on page 88 it works it really does i believe that and i use that and i started from zero and i filled up this morning and i'm filling up by being here and i'm going to have an abstinent day god willing 
And um, with that, I am complete. And thank you so much. Thank you very much for your service. We will now open the floor to questions and answers. Please type your question into the Q&A function, not the chat. I will read questions to the speakers who will have up to two minutes each to answer. So we do already have a couple of questions. Um, I, I believe this uh, arose while you were speaking, Kim, but certainly each of you can uh, answer. How do you hold on to your conscious contact when the world gets loud and distracting? Did you want me to go first? Yes, please. Um, thank you. Um, the world does get loud. Um, I don't live in any kind of pink bubble. Absolutely not. Um, and it's a practice. It's an absolute practice. And I do forget because I'm human. Uh, and I do make mistakes because I'm human and I'm good with that. Um, as was said earlier, like I am enough and I'm plugging in every morning. I'm asking God for his will for me and the power to carry that out. So yes, the world gets loud and um, I have to pray. It's all, it's all I know how to do when I can't go to the Seven Eleven. It's the only other thing I know how to do. And I went from the 7-Eleven to my higher power. And it really works. It works. It really does. And that's the only thing. Um, I mean, having worked in a jail for 34 years, let me tell you how the world got loud. Having been in some difficult times, um, my mom just passed. The only thing I knew how to do was pray. That's all I knew how to do. And I know it works. They've proven it scientifically. So I use that. It's all I have. And that's it for me. Um, so I, I read that question and my first thought is, oh, I don't hold on anymore. There's no more, there's no more grasping and, and trying um, my higher power says, honey, don't hold on, just come back. When you go into the world and the world gets distracting and, you know, there's shiny objects all over the place and there's drama, just come back, just come back. That's all there is. There isn't any holding on for me. There isn't because that's, you know, grasping. So that's how I do it. And I also will put in a big plug for um, physically reducing the noise and chatter. Like I abstain from the news and I um, limit my media. And, um, you know, if I want it to be quiet, I have to, you know, get quiet. So that's what I do. Thanks. Thanks, Sandy. Uh, a uh, questioner asks, Kim, and, and certainly Sandy too, if you would put your contact information in the chat. Yeah, I gave mine to Michelle to post. So feel free, Miss Michelle. I see. Okay. Um, what kind of meditation do you engage in and how do you communicate with your HP through meditation? Sandy, why don't you could take that one for? Um, yeah, the, the best one I do is the two-way prayer most every morning imperfectly. Um, and the uh, uh, doodling, the meditative doodling, listening to music, 
Um, I think what's most important about meditation. Oh, I know this is a perfect time. I meant to do show and tell. So um, this is a dictionary from like 1935. And do yourself a favor and get one of these because the words in the big book, Kim, thank you so much. You were so eloquent on the big book. Um, The words that Bill used or they wrote with, it's like the definitions of those words have changed over time, right? So the word meditation in a dictionary from that time is completely different. So to meditate in this dictionary is to contemplate, to ponder, to intend, plan, to dwell in thought, to muse and to reflect. Now, isn't that completely different? Like I was always trained that meditation, I'm going to clear my mind. It's I'm going to empty the vessel. Well, you know, when they, when they wrote the instructions, the instructions were to think, to dwell in thought, to ponder. So then the question is, what am I thinking about? It's like I can think about, you know, stuff and fixing and problems, or I can think about God, I, sometimes it's just as simple as just bringing, I have this lovely little space in my head that's like, it's probably some variation on Crater Lake right before the sun rises, just dark and smooth water and um, just that wonderful sort of lakey water smell, just a uh, sky full of stars. I mean, just, you know, find your happy place and just go there. That's, do what works for you. Okay, thanks. And would you like to answer that? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I love that, Sandy. Thank you so much. Um, prayer uh, meditation for me is a little bit about clearing my mind because, as an addict, my thoughts are like a little BB inside. They go and pretty soon I'm overwhelmed, and then I'm into the food. Um, and I know that. If I just get overwhelmed to a certain level, I lose my serenity and I lose my power to decide about the food in that day. So I do clear my mind. The big book also says that Kim's an undisciplined person and that I let the steps in my higher power discipline me. And that's the discipline. So I don't think it matters how we do prayer and meditation. The discipline is to show up and there are some days when I can show up and be very Zen um, and just count my breaths and yeah, thought will come in and I just release it. And then, you know, there's that and it doesn't even matter for how long, if you can do a minute, awesome. If you can do three minutes, still awesome. If that day you've got 3000 meetings before 9am it just just show up and do it if it's 30 seconds but it's non-negotiable um that's how i feel about step 11 it's non-negotiable like the other steps if i don't take step one i forget it if i don't do step three forget it well if i don't do step 11 i'm in deep deep trouble um game over for kim it's as simple as that so i do get quiet i do count my breaths for however long And it doesn't matter how busy my day is. That's the day I need it the most. And if during the day, because in the step 11 um, aspect of what they're talking about in the big book, I'm supposed to do it throughout the day. Um, If I get upset, I'll go into the bathroom and just clear and ground. Thanks. Thank you both. Next question is. 
how do you instill consistency in your practice when you're away with family on vacation? Who'd like to go first? Go ahead, Kim. I don't have a good story for this one. <laughs> um, so I come from a family of addicts. <laughs> so believe me, um, and that I'm talking about my family of origin, not uh, where I live now, but uh, um, and with my mother's illness and subsequent passing, I was living in a house with all my family of addicts. And uh, so it was really hard because there was emotional stuff just with the situation. And then there was emotional stuff with everybody using. And then there was emotional stuff with the users not enjoying that I wasn't using with them. Mm -hmm. um, so. I just, I told them what I do um, and I just did it. I carved out the space. Um, I found a quiet spot. It probably wasn't for long because stuff was happening. People are knocking on doors and things were happening, happening, lots of people around. Um, but luckily my dad lives on a beautiful Lake Nipissing in Northern Ontario. And I was able to get by the beach and, and walk, walk get away from and that was my meditation that's what i could do then i find a way that's all thanks kim said you don't uh I, i'm just reflecting that we had a family reunion in august and i just almost everything went right out the window all my good practices <laughs> the only thing i can say is thank god it was only three days long that's kind of a policy with my, me like no big time commitments with family and by God's grace, I got back into my practice when I got home. So that's a beautiful thing. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you both. Um, how do you maintain your two-way prayer practices over time? I do two-way prayer for re regularly for a while, then miss a day or two, then realize I've stopped writing to HP. Sandy? Um, it's a really good question. It's definitely evolved over time. It changes a lot. Um, so I was very regular for about a year with this meeting, which happens at 5.30 in the morning. So that, that was all God. I'm not, you know, I, I astonished myself by waking up at 4.30 in the morning. Of course, I had to have abstinent breakfast <laughs> before I wrote two-way prayer. And, um, you know, I just did it. And now that's getting a little um, routine and so it's time God is gently pointing me to, towards something else. I, I think the trick for me is to not think that I have to find, again, it's that same thing, right? I have to find the way to do it and keep doing it that way. Because um, then I'll get this, you know, definition of insanity. Well, no, definition of insanity. Anyway, it, it evolves over time. Let it evolve. Let God speak to you and tell you what the next right action is. What, you know, Ask your higher power what the best way to get in conscious contact is. And then here's the secret. Do that thing. <laughs> I'm notorious for hearing really good directions from God. And they're going, yeah, God, I'll get to that. Or, yeah, God, let me tell you why that's not going to work. Or, you know, um, a spiritual teacher of mine says, if you stop, if you don't follow God's instruction, God stops giving you instruction. You stop hearing God's instruction. So just follow the instruction. And that's been a big learning for me. Thanks. Thanks, Sandy. Kim? Um, my form of two-way prayer, I, I don't really call it that, and I don't think the label matters, but um, is uh, I was taught early in program uh, that the writing is really important. 
um, as a tool. And so I get, if I'm disturbed about anything, I get writing and I fire the editor and I write all the cockapoo that I got to write till I got nothing left to write. And then I realize my problem is two pages big and not this big monstrous bomb in my head, but my answers at the bottom of the page. Mm. Um, one example is I was doing a fourth step and it was about the 10th fourth step I'd done on the same stinking issue. And so at the top of that fourth step, I wrote, dear God, I'm writing for the 10th time on this stinking issue. What am I not seeing? Wrote my fourth step, blah, 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 pretty benign, get to the bottom and I go. The answer was, because it's bringing you to the steps, it doesn't matter what's in the subject line. Ta-da! So that's my, the writing, fire the editor writing is my two-way prayer. My answer is always at the bottom of the page and that's what works for me. Thanks, Kim. Uh, Kim, this is addressed to you. Can you speak to having compassion for addicts while communicating, setting institutional boundaries? Uh, I'm a woman. I'm a short woman, very small. Um, and I was in a male-dominated field. So right away, I've got some big problems in the situation that I was in. So I had to have really, really strong boundaries when I was inside, even though they were addicts. So I made it very clear that this was my job and there were, there were lines and there were many times I had to say, you know, we're not talking about that and no, we're not dealing with that. Um, so that's easy. Those are like not family people where my boundaries get wobbly is with my family members very, very hard to say no. That is part of my addict brain. And in coming to this session yesterday, I heard somebody say, when I can't say no, and when I'm doing all the things, and I'm so overwhelmed, that's pretty, that's pretty much ego. And I went, Oh, my goodness, I didn't think of it that way. So I'm, I'm learning that's my emotional sobriety piece that I'm talking about now, like, I have abstinence and sobriety and, and freedom from other mind-altering substances so I can do this work. And this is where the last, not the last piece, I'm sure, but this next piece is those boundaries. And no is, is a complete sentence and doing what I need, not neglecting my needs. That's where I got in so much trouble before. And I don't have, and I don't, I can't, I can't go back into a relapse because I forgot or refused or didn't have the courage to say no. Right. And that's what I'm asking. When I asked for God's will for me and the power to carry that out without fear and anger, exactly what I mean is so that I can say no when I need to say no and let that be a complete sentence and stand on its own. Thanks, Kim. Uh, Sandy, uh, anything you want to add? Oh no, I, I, uh, hang on. I was distracted by shiny objects. There was somebody in the front in, in French in the chat. I was trying to answer that question in French, which I don't speak, you know, because <laughs> it's me. Um, 
I don't have institutional experience. I think boundaries are the hardest things. I think if we were all good at boundaries, we probably wouldn't need 12-step programs. <laughs> I think um, learning boundaries is a lifetime occupation. It, one I've been delighted to be in, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm loving my life of learning and transformation. But it, every, everybody's boundary journey is different. So thanks. Okay. I th- <clears throat> Pardon me. I think we'll have time for one more question. And this seems appropriate. How do you end your day? With more prayer, etc.? So I, I do um, the nightly inventory uh, as it's written in the big book. And I fully, I have an app that organizes it for me. Um, I add... And I ask my um, sponsees to add at the end, you know, it has this question, what could we have done better? And that can be a torture question for me. You know, that can be a, a pit of, you know, shoulda, woulda, coulda, guilt tripping. So I, um, I, I do the questions. I try to avoid just yes, no. Was I resentful? Yes. Well, what, you know, do I need to pause and go do a, a formal 10 step with a 10 step partner? Um before continuing the 11th step. Uh, so I try to do a little bit deep. Was I in the stream of life? I try to just kind of list some of the highlights of being in the stream of life. And then I add um, three things I did well today and three things I'm thankful for. And then the app doesn't do this, but the last line of that is, you know, we ask God what corrective measures. And so I do that little mini two-way prayer. God, what corrective measures do you have for me? And then I literally write, and God says, and then I get quiet and write whatever God says. And I fully admit I do this all on, um, you know, speech to text on my cell phone. I'm not handwriting. Um, and, you know, I know there are people that swear that handwriting is better, but sometimes for me, um, just talking is great. So I do that every night and send it to my sponsor. Thanks, Andy. Kim? Um, sort of the same thing. I do do a daily review. Um, I don't always send it to my sponsor, but I do do a daily review. Um, the one thing that comes to mind, though, is I do end it in prayer. I do not uh, take for granted not one day um, that I'm a food addict and I've had an abstinent day and a sober day. I do not take that for granted because I know where I was and how powerless I was and how I could not come out of that on my own. Um, and so I know that I have to be grateful if I want more of the same. Um, so I just thank my higher power for bringing me through an abstinent and sober day. It's that's all I have. That's all I have. Cause if I don't have that, I have absolutely nothing and I'll go exactly back to where I was. And it wasn't pretty. I'm, I'm kind of a jerk when I'm, I'm high on sugar. And uh, I don't really like to be a jerk because I don't like to make amends either. So uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I just don't want to be that and cause injury to people. I don't want to do that. Thanks. Thanks, Kim. We have reached the uh, end of our hour. I'd like to thank Kim and Sandy for doing service as well as all the other service providers, the interpreters. Thank you very much. Uh, Karen, Lisa, Ann. And Michelle, uh, let's close with a serenity prayer. God, grant us serenity.
So there's a 15 minute break and then another series of workshops. And so please enjoy your break and please come right back. A short break. <laughs> 